The Right Fit Podcast is brought to you by Rising Coaches Search and Consulting. If you are hiring and you need help identifying, vetting, and recruiting five to 10 finalists that fit the profile of your institution, then reach out to Rising Coaches. We have experience helping organizations hire ADs, head coaches, and assistant coaches in every sport, and even corporate positions. Our prices are designed to fit small college budgets. For more information, visit risingcoaches.com. Three, two, one, zero. Good afternoon and welcome to the second season of the Right Fit Podcast. I'm Daryl Jacobs, ESPN Network College Basketball Analyst and Executive Director for the DEI Alliance for Rising Coaches. Join me every Friday, noon Eastern time with guests and the decision makers in both collegiate athletics and professional sports. But my first show, I'm very excited to have this tremendous guest and a good friend of mine taking the time out to join us this afternoon. Please join me in welcoming Eugene Marshall, Jr., Director of Athletics, Hampton University. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Coach. It's my pleasure. Long time no see. <laughs> Absolutely. You look like you're doing a lot of work there. I know it's a busy season for you in between um, just getting out of football and now into basketball season. And um, your second year in the, the new conference, Big South, correct? Uh, year number three, second year competing because of the COVID year. Uh, so we're doing pretty good and, uh, last home game coming up this weekend. So, uh, and plus I'm busy with the NCAA FCS uh, championship selection committee. So that's going on this weekend. Oh, well, you're doing a whole lot. And that's why I want to have you on this first guest, but before we get into the Q and a, I want you to briefly talk about your, um, segue into collegiate athletics. Sure. Uh, I was blessed, uh, to go to Northeastern university and play under Jim Calhoun. I uh, had a knee injury that ended my career. I was not one of his best players, but we had a great relationship, and he's the one that got me uh, thinking about coaching. So uh, coached a little semi-pro, played a little semi-pro. Then I came back to New York because I worked for IBM, and there was an opportunity to coach uh, at Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, New York. Ron Brown, who's a longtime friend, was the head coach, and he was going to West Virginia. So I went in and interviewed uh, Calhoun and some other people called on my behalf. Uh, I got the job and at 26 years old, um, two weeks before the start of the season, I became a division three head coach. And my first clinic was at the New York Knicks. Uh, my high school coach, Mel Henderson, who was a Hampton grad, um, took me to Hubie Brown's uh, uh, first training camp with the Knicks. Uh, and uh, Rich Buckaloo was there, who was my driver's ed teacher at Hackensack. He was a, an assistant along with Richie Adubato. So I got a chance to learn from the best uh, as a young 26-year-old head coach. And also I relied on Coach Mike Fratello, who was one of my uh, counselors back in the day, another Hackensack High School grad who uh, helped me along. And so at that point, I went from there to uh, – Becoming the AD at 29, um, wasn't thinking about it, but the opportunity came up. And one of the things that Coach Calhoun told me, he says, you know, there's a lot of black coaches, but there's not a lot of black ADs. So uh, I took that opportunity and from there moved to the College of Staten Island as a, uh 
athletic director and then took on during the season the head woman's job after coaching 11 years coaching men. Uh, we had some success at CSI, uh, uh, won the CUNY championship two years in a row, uh, and it was a great experience. Went on to uh, Ramapo College, where I was the athletic director there and women's coach, and we rebuilt the athletic program and the um, women's basketball program. Good friend of mine, Kevin Anderson, became the uh, first African-American AD at West Point. And it was his first athletic director's job. And he asked me to come along with him. So I did. I did that for five years as his deputy. Uh, Mike Rashardi, who was at Ramapo um, at the time, and I mentored him to take over for me, uh, suddenly passed away. So the president asked me to come back. I did that for a year. Went to Iona. Uh, stayed there for two years. Uh, became ill. Uh, and then had a chance to... Um, Hampton had been trying to get me for about six years. Uh, I knew I wasn't going to go right away. Uh, China Jew was a great friend of mine and you. Uh, so while my uh, youngest son, Gene, uh, finished prep school, uh, I had an opportunity to work with you guys uh, for about six months. I enjoyed it. That was probably one of the best experiences that I had in college athletics. And then I came down here to uh, Hampton, where I've been down here going on uh, year number eight. Uh, we've done a lot of good things, started some new sports, uh, built the program, changed conferences, uh, have some great student athletes, great coaches, uh, great leadership uh, by Dr. William R. Harvey in his 44th year at the helm at Hampton University. And we build leaders and champions. Well, wow. You know, that's the segue. You brought back a lot of memories for me, you know, mentioning Mike Patello, of course, I'm from that coaching tree, having coached with Tom Barese at Ramapo College um, and, and started my segue into becoming a college head coach um, as well. But when you came in, let's let's talk a little bit about the hiring process. Talk about how the hiring process is different now compared to when you came into collegiate athletics. Well, the hiring process was you put in your application and you had stability up with the powerful people that could call on your behalf and talk about you as a person, you as a coach uh, and your background. And so um, that played a big role in me getting the job at Pratt as the head coach. Now, the AD's position, uh, the vice president. Um, the year before, Don Scarola, who was the AD at the time, left. Right. Uh, and I took over as women's volleyball coach and basketball coach. I was still working for IBM, and they asked me to be the conference liaison because they had moved the department underneath health services. Um, and they didn't know anything about athletics. So I was the conference liaison. Uh, I did a decent job where the vice president said, do you want to be the AD? I said, I'll give it a chance. I can still coach. Uh, people at IBM thought I was crazy because I left IBM to uh, become an athletic director at a Division three institution. Now, when I went to Staten Island, uh, I had uh, Coach Adubato, Coach Calhoun, uh, Coach Conaseca. Uh, he's still kicking at, at 95, 96. They all called in my behalf. And Coach... Um, Adubato, when they were doing the search, 
they called him. He had to come out of practice. He was preparing for uh, his time with Michael Jordan. And so um, that was huge. And here he is uh, preparing for Michael Jordan. And he's talking about me. And so that helped me get that job. Uh, Ramapo, I turned him down three times. Uh, Pam Bischoff, who was the vice president, Dr. Robert Scott, who was the president, um, really convinced me. He worked on my wife. Uh, they wanted me to come back, but it was still relationship driven. And what I had done in that program at the time was really down. After Coach Barice left and you guys left, that program really struggled and the whole athletic program struggled. So I took it on. Uh, Kevin, I went to his press conference not knowing that I would go to West Point. I just went up there to support my friend. Uh, in between that time, I had also became the president of the Black Coaches Association, the uh, chairperson of the NCA's Minority Opportunities and Interest Committee, uh, also a member of MOA when it was founded. All these things were geared towards helping young coaches, young administrators, male and female of color to get positions. So uh, as a division three head coach and athletic director, I had two of the most powerful positions in NCAA college athletics, president of the BCA uh, and uh, chairperson of, of the uh, MOIC. So um, I have always been fighting for the rights of, of uh, African-Americans, male and females to get the opportunities. One of the things that happened in that process in the BCA, we developed a, a, a report card. Richard Lapchak was a big part of that. USA Today would publish it. And so if you did not have African-Americans in the pool, you would get a negative mark. If you did not interview African-Americans, you'd get a negative mark. And if you did not hire an African-American, get a negative mark. So one of the things that that did is it brought search firms into the forefront of the process. So search firms became the buffer between the university and the candidate. And, and so, tell us, what year was that around? Because that was around 2003, 4, 5, somewhere around. I'd say, I'd say 3000, 2004, 5, 6, somewhere in it around there that and, and and so what happened is schools would then get the search firm so now they would not get they could justify the report report card by saying the search firm gave me these candidates and we interviewed them and then the search firms became more powerful so less of who you know uh at the local level at the university level it became who you know in the search firm who do they know? Uh, and then remember now, the search firms hire presidents, the search firms hire athletic directors, the search firms hire coaches. The ones that do it the best have the most cachet and clout. And, and, and so then at, at, at that point, uh, it changed. Uh, I the search firms that the, the search committees that I met with along the way were just university search committees. Uh, I don't think 
I've had any position that I've received that a search firm got for me. Um, when I went to Iona, it was the search committee, Ramapo search committee, West Point. It was Kevin Anderson and general uh, Lennox, who was the superintendent, um, at, at, uh, Staten Island. It was a search committee at, uh, Pratt. It was the vice president and president Pratt. Um, at uh, uh, Queens, um, there was a need. I filled it. I think you and China were the ones that talked me into it. <laughs> uh, at um, here at Hampton, Dr. Rodney Smith, who is now president of the Bahamas, he was the former president at Ramapo. Uh, I helped him get selected as president there. Uh, he wanted me to come here and Dr. Harvey. It wasn't a search committee. Wow. So the trend uh, has, has totally mm -hmm. changed compared to being more relationship driven back when you first entered. Now everything is all about the search firms um, being yes. the liaison for hiring. Yes. And you mentioned There's something very interesting. And you mentioned something very interesting in regards to how Dr. Richard Lapchak, if people don't know who Dr. Richard Lapchak is, he's the guru, or I say the go-to person in regards to the hiring practices with all just collegiate athletics professional um organizations as well um and it's very interesting you said how the um hiring process was covered via the search firms not identifying minority candidates um as as well so it's very interesting as well and it's very good that the viewers know that particularly those who are looking to get into collegiate athletics understanding how it was then compared to now being in the know with the search firms and um in regards to not even having to deal with committees, but I think once the search firm select, there may be a committee process involved ultimately, you know, as well. Talk about the hiring process at Hampton. Uh, it, 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 and I want to go back to one thing before I get to that. Floyd Keith and I had a list of young coaches, experienced coaches, young administrators, veteran administrators, male, female, and we would call presidents and ADs and recommend coaches before they get before all these other organizations had these lists. We had lists and we would make calls, you know, so the, so that that's how that went. But at Hampton, uh, I, I'm blessed to have a great president and a great provost, uh, Dr. Joanne Haysburg, who's a chancellor and provost. Um, they allow me to and my staff to select the people that we think that fit Hampton's uh, uh, standard of excellence, and they're gonna help develop these young men and women to be leaders and champions. And so we go out and we look at, you know, through contacts, people that we know, word of mouth. Uh, we also um, advertise, and then we get the right candidates. Um, they go through a small search committee uh, I'll take the names to the president. He'll meet, meet with them. The provost will meet with them. And if I'm going to take them to that point, we hire them. Uh, coaches, of course, I believe that coaches are the CEOs of their programs. So I look for uh, people that have the ability to be the chief executive officer of their program. That doesn't mean that they just coach. That doesn't mean that they just recruit. 
That means that they handle all aspects of the program. And administrators, I look for CEOs of their area. I want them to run their area so that they understand fully that they have responsibility to look at their area as their the chief executive officer, almost a mini athletic director. And this is also a way that I've been able to mentor and tutor and train young administrators to become athletic directors. One of the things that I did at West Point and I've done uh, throughout my career is mentor young coaches to become head coaches and young administrators to become athletic directors. And what I try to get them to do is see themselves in their boss's eyes, that they would look through it as an athletic director instead of an assistant AD or associate AD or deputy AD. Look at it as the head coach, not look at it as the assistant coach. See it through that prism. That way you have a better understanding of what your boss is telling you. And so um, I've been very fortunate and blessed that a lot of the assistant coaches that I've had the privilege to work with uh, are now successfully uh, uh, head coaches in a lot of sports other than just basketball and football. Talk about the, um, I'm sure you, you, of course, quite naturally interviewed a lot of candidates, whether it's our administrative um, side, as well as, you know, interviewing for coaches. Talk about the do's and don'ts when the viewing and, and, you know, give some examples of some, some of the interviews that were the do's that were real, real good and the don'ts. Well, I, I, th I think you, you need to be well-versed on the university, well-versed on the leadership, well-versed on the programs. Um, Tell them what you believe you can do. Um, you have to, what I call is be better than the rest, because as African-American candidates, you have to be on the top of your game. You can't just get by because you won't get the job. Uh, I think the thing that you got to look at is you have to be thorough, um, you have to understand the culture that you're going into. Uh, you have to understand that you may be, you may have been interviewed or being interviewed by people that don't understand you and don't understand what you stand for or who you are. So you have to be able to articulate that in a way that they understand and that, um, that you will be able to be yourself, but you will be able to be a team player because there are a lot of misconceptions about African-American male and females as coaches and as administrators. And part of the interview process is to dispel those rumors and those myths. And you need to know that going in. Um, it may be unfair, but that's the, 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 the feel that we're in. Um, yeah. a, lot, a lot of times they say that administrators, all they are in is academics and compliance. So show them your fundraising capabilities, show them your abilities, your ability to market and promote, show them your ability to interact with corporate partners, give them some experience, make sure you have some experience, uh, articulate your, your vision in a way that they understand it. Uh, also, uh, as a coach, show them that you're more than a recruiter, that you uh, know X's and O's, 
that you know how to uh, develop a practice plan, a conditioning plan, an academic plan that you can meet with uh, faculty members and discuss your student athletes, that you can meet with donors and community people and, and be able to articulate and talk to them in a way that they're like, wow, this guy knows what he's talking about. And yes, you're going to surprise them. Uh, one of the things that I'm, I take great pride in is the hiring of these new um, black coaches, male and female and black administrators and commissioners, because it proves that we can do what everybody else can do. And we're good at it. We can articulate a vision. We can sit in the living room and recruit and take that kid and show them how I run my program. We can lead a department. We can lead a conference. Um, and so I, I say all those things to say that part of the interview process of each and every African-American person that interviews, you're dispelling a myth and a rumor and you don't even know it. Because well, people have perceptions of who you are and what you are and they don't know you. Well, that's that's obviously a given. And, you know, in, in case the viewers don't know, Hampton University is a historical black college. Um, located um, down in Hampton, Virginia um, as well. And, you know, you talk about the hiring of um, Blacks, but also you do have other ethnicity on your and within your athletic department. I just want to make sure they understand that, that you're not just hiring Blacks, but you do have all different ethnicity in your athletic department. I've been very blessed that uh, I've had diverse staffs at predominantly white institutions and I have a diverse staff at this great HBCU institution. And that was done before me uh, under Dr. Harvey's leadership. So uh, we look at trying to have the best and the brightest to lead our student athletes. Absolutely. Talk about the industry trends. You know, everything is trending and you hear that a lot. Um, talk about some of the industry trends that one needs to be abreast of um, if they're thinking about a career and collegiate athletics? Well, they, they are looking to hire talented African-Americans. So when you go into an interview in this day and time, you're going in there to compete for a job opportunity where before you were just a token or just a number. So now you are going in with an opportunity to win the job, which uh, is a big change. And so now um, you need to prepare, uh, you need to be ready, and you need to look at what you're going to do when they offer you the job and you accept it. So you have to understand how to build a staff, how to build a department, uh, what are the things that you need. So I think that to me is, is, is the biggest trend, and it's a positive one. So instead of just focusing on getting the job, you got to now focus on what are you going to do when you get the job? Who are you going to hire? Who are you going to bring with you? What does the staff look like? You got to analyze the people that are there. You got to analyze the folks you're going to be in contact with. So um, I think that's a different mindset than most folks have. Well, you know what, Eugene, let's let me pay some bills. Let's go to a commercial break and then we'll come back um, here on the Right Fit Podcast. 
The Right Fit Podcast is brought to you by Rising Coaches Search and Consulting. Tired of spending what seems like all of your time and budget filling coaching vacancies? Let Rising Coaches Search and Consulting handle your next coaching search. Our process is simple. We identify, vet, and recruit a talented and diverse group of professionals that fits your institution's profile. All for a low price that we guarantee will beat our competitions. Plus, all of your searches will be handled by former coaches, meaning we will get the best possible insight on all of your candidates, and you'll get the perspective that only a former coach could provide. For testimonials, a full client list, or more information, please visit risingcoaches.com. Welcome back to the Right Fit Podcast. I'm Daryl Jacobs, your host. Of course, I have my guest here today, Eugene Marshall, Jr., Director of Athletics, Hampton University. And we're talking about the hiring process in collegiate athletics. Eugene, change. And oftentimes when people hear change, it kind of frightens them a little bit. What changes are you seeing now in collegiate athletics that might become the standard in the future? The the respect of minority candidates and the respect of African-American candidates um, that they can do the job. So now, as I said earlier, you got to go in with the idea, not just to get the job, but what are you going to do with the job when you get it? So you need to prepare. It's just like a coach. Uh, you recruit the student athlete to come play basketball at your institution. Well, what are you going to do with the student athlete when you get them? And also there's a different type of student athlete right now. Um, there's a balance between the NIL name, image, and likeness and ensuring that they get their degree and ensuring that they have an opportunity. If they, if they choose to play a professional sport, fine. But the most important thing is that they become a professional in something other than the sport that they play. And so that's a whole other process and education process that we have to now navigate through. It's not that we don't want our student athletes to reap the benefits of their name, image and likeness. We want to make sure that it's the right move, that they don't lose money that they don't lose, uh, some of them that are not on full scholarship lose financial aid uh, eligibility status because they're making some money, it may not be enough. And also that they still have their priorities to get an education first and foremost, play your sport, and then you can generate a little revenue on the side that will carry you through. Because when that little deal is done, and you graduate, you need to find a job if you're not a pro athlete. And then if you're a pro athlete, you go five, 10 years, you need to find a job after that. So we need to continue to teach that lesson. Um, yes, we all want you to, you know, benefit from your name, image and likeness, but there's a end game to this. And I think a lot of times we just look at the short game. And, and I tie that to uh, getting the job, interviewing for the job, being offered the job and taking the job. Well, you have a long career after that in that job. So you got to prepare for all areas 
because just like we get the job, they'll make it hard for us to keep the job. So you have to be prepared. You have to understand. You have to have people that you have that you can trust and have confidence in. And let's stay on the NIL because mm -hmm. that seems to be one of the biggest sweeping changes in collegiate athletics. And I want to talk a little bit about how is that being governed. And oftentimes when I speak to student athletes now, I talk about them becoming a business because now they are actually a business themselves, you know, learning how to be financially um, literate, financially educated, understanding where this can go. And basically, you know, they're becoming their own. As you said, you want a CEO when you're hiring a coach. I tell them you basically you CEO of your own brand now, you know, as well. Talk about the challenges in governing it. As you know, right now, the NIL really doesn't have a full compass of how it's going to be governed going forward. But talk a little bit about how is that being governed, particularly at Hampton University? Well, we try to do the best that we can. Uh, Dr. Jackson, who is our Paula Jackson, who is our senior women's administrator and oversees our academic uh and compliance component she's not the direct person uh, we do have a, a director of academics we're currently looking for a director of compliance but she oversees that area and we try to educate our student athletes to provide us with all the necessary information so that we can help them a to review it but also know what we can do and cannot do as a university yes the nca has made these uh policies very loose so uh, it's a challenge for smaller schools. Larger schools have a lot of staff, a lot of people. And so it's easier for them to manage. And they also encourage it. We're not in a situation as a small school that we can encourage that kind of stuff because we want to make sure that the students keep their priorities right. One thing I can say about our, our Hampton student athletes, they are doing that. They are, they are working towards their uh, degrees. They are participating in athletics. They are trying to market their name, image, and likeness, and they are letting their coaches know, uh, and they're letting us know. So I, I, I've asked them to, you know, ask the coaches to be a little bit more uh, hands-on so that they can help us. We have 350 student athletes. So, um, so far, so good. Uh, I'm proud of them. And uh, we'll just keep working it. I think this is a work in progress, uh, just like the whole NCA structure is now a work in progress. Yeah, and it's going to continue to be a work in progress, as you know. Um, you know, this has been at the forefront. You know, when when Ed O'Banion started back in at UCLA, when of course the NCA used his image to promote their brand, and ultimately. Um, he sued the NCA. They ruled in his favor. Then they overturned it, and here we are today, where now um, the states, you know, got out in front of this way before the NCAA and passing this and allowing it to occur. But, but what people got to understand is, it's nice to fight for, but there's got to be structure in place to keep people whole. Because what you don't want to do is have a student athlete that thinks they're making a couple of dollars. They live in one state, they do business in another state, they go to school in another state, and they got to get taxed in each state. Once they get taxed in each state, although the revenue, the, the, their revenue is one number, the tax is another number, they end up with really next to nothing, and then they lose financial aid status. 
Absolutely. And that's one of the things when I lecture, I talk about that, how it can affect their financial aid status. And a lot of them don't realize. Exactly. And you mentioned taxation and you mentioned reporting income. I mentioned all that to them. In other words, I said, you are a company. And yeah. You got to learn how to run your company within the law because the IRS will come and get you somewhere down the road if and, you're and, not and, paying attention. That's the problem. And, and, and when you try to tell them at first, but one thing our, our student athletes, they do listen. So I'm, I, I can't say that. Um, but I do know other uh, student athletes that I've talked to, not Hamptonians, uh, Hampton student athletes, but they, they think that you're against it, but no, I'm looking at it from a, from a situation where I can see where the pitfalls are. And so we're going to try to help you get through that. But we want you to understand that every deal is not a good deal. All money is not good money. So you, like you said, you're your own corporation. So you're going to have to vet this and get some people around you that you can trust that are not trying to get the money off of you. And that's one of the things that I have a lot of concerns about with college athletics in general. It's not the student athlete. It's the people around the student athletes. Well, and that's always been the case. Those mm -hmm. who've been governing, you know, intercollegiate athletics for all this time. And of course, that's another show yes. or topic, you know, as well. Um, I'm going to do this with every guest in my show. I'm going to do mm -hmm. word association. I'm going to say a word or name something, and you say the first thing that comes to mind. All right. Hampton University. Pirate Athletics. New Jersey. Hackensack. <laughs> Family. Uh, loving wife and kids. College athletics. Can't beat it. <laughs> well, Eugene, thank you for taking the time to join me today. And I want to thank all the viewers for tuning in as well. Join me next Friday for another great guest and some great conversation. Until then, please stay healthy, stay safe. God bless.